0: Good morning. It is so good to be here today. I'm like Karen. I love this. Is there anyone here uh, that wasn't here last week? You're here for the first time. Oh, we also have the hands for the um, outlines. Okay, who's here for the first time? Is there some of you out there? Good. Okay, welcome. We are so glad to have you join us. Uh, I had them set up a drum set for me today because I'm going to play Wipeout for you at the end? <laughs> not really. Only my brother could play Wipe Out when I was asleep or um, in the bathroom or something, and he'd come with his drumsticks. But anyway, this is set up because the big band uh, is going to be playing for us Friday night. It's free. Everybody comes 730. And Jennifer said they're playing songs from the 20s to the 80s. It's called Turn Your Radio On. So if you want to come, I will not be up here playing in any fashion, but um, it, it would be fun to listen to. We're in our second week. Well, first, I, I just want to say what an honor and a privilege it is for me to be up here. And it's humbling and, and pretty scary if I think too long about the fact that you guys have come to, to hear me. But um, I, I count it a privilege, and, and thank you for that. And I also want to thank those of you that have been praying for me. I need those prayers. I feel those prayers, and I want to thank you. They're deeply appreciated. We're in our second week of this series on wisdom, and we're uh, calling it Living as a Wise woman." And we said last week that um, one thing wisdom is not is a know-it-all. And we talked about Lucy from the Peanuts, the quintessential know-it-all. And so I brought another cartoon of hers today. And this time, she's sitting in that little stand that um, she made. And she says, this is not a lemonade stand. Above it, it has psychiatric help, five cents. And then when she's sitting there behind it, she has the doctor is in. And then there's Charlie Brown. He was her number one customer. And she's talking, of course, instead of listening. She's saying, you're life is like a house. So you want your house to have a solid foundation, don't you? Of course you do. So don't build your house on the sand, Charlie Brown. And about that time, the whole thing comes crushing down upon her, and she's underneath it, and she looks up and says, or use cheap nails. So we don't want to be like Lucy, the know-it-all. We want to have godly wisdom, And last week we laid the foundation for living as a wise woman and we said we uh, needed three things to get started. And the first one, the biggie, is fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is that proper relationship with God, living your life in reverential awe of God's sovereignty, goodness, and mercy, and with obedience to him and in relationship with him. One quote I said, that fear of the Lord is embracing obedience joyfully. The second thing we need to get started is discipline. We will need to exercise discipline to gain wisdom. And if you did your questions this week, it took time and thought and study. And that's discipline. If you uh, took your mind off all the things around you and instead pondered some scripture as to its meaning that is discipline. And the third thing we need is to ask God, and I hope that you did that this week, to ask God to give you wisdom. And keep asking. I'm going to keep asking. The Bible says that God gives wisdom, that it is a gift from God. Last week, we also had a little instruction on the book of Ecclesiastes and its author, Solomon. Solomon was the son of King David And when David died, then Solomon became king over Israel. So he asked God for wisdom. And God granted that request in such a way that Solomon became the wisest man ever. Wiser than any man from the past or in the present or in the future. And yet Solomon did not always act wisely or live wisely. He disobeyed. We saw last week in the scripture that he disobeyed God's commandments. And he put other things in place of God. Those are idols. And he found that they did not satisfy. And then as an elderly man, Solomon, after searching for the meaning of life, he writes this spiritual journey in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon tries everything to find meaning in life. Everything under the sun. And last week I said that whenever you see that phrase, under the sun, know that Solomon is talking about life apart from God. Under the sun is life apart from God. And nothing Solomon tried proves meaningful. And that's the reason I think Ecclesiastes is so relevant to us today. Because Solomon was trying the very same things that people try today to find meaning. He tried Wealth, and power, and status, and pleasure, and projects, and relationships, and even knowledge, and wisdom. And don't those things sound familiar? And apart from God, under the sun, none of those satisfy. It was all vanity, vanity, meaningless, meaningless. And so his conclusion, the realization that Solomon comes to, is that the whole point of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. This is why Ecclesiastes can be called the idol buster. Because those things or those people that we elevate to the utmost importance in our lives, they, those are the idols in our lives. They will not ultimately bring satisfaction. They will not bring meaning to our lives. Ecclesiastes was written to warn us against placing our hope in anyone or anything other than God you know there 's a country western song, and i 'm not a country western uh, person i 'm from Florida. Uh, I got here a little late i 'm a transplant, but there was a song that I kind of remember it had a catchy phrase, and it 's something like you know to come up if i 'm wrong after class and let me know. It had something like looking for love in too many faces, looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah, thanks. I hear, some, I hear that country western person out there. Good job. That could have been the theme song for Ecclesiastes looking for love in all the wrong places and looking for it in too many faces. The truth is, the conclusion of the matter. We need God. We looked, we turned to the back of Ecclesiastes to find Solomon's conclusion, chapter 12, those last few verses. We need God. And when we look at life with God, then we have an eternal perspective. It's life under the Son of God. Under the Son of God. And that was our first principle that we established last week. A wise woman has an eternal perspective, this is foundational. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, so a wise woman has an eternal perspective. She looks at life with God. And today, we're going to talk about another foundational principle, and that is a wise woman trusts the heart of God. Our definition of wisdom is skillful living, the God-given ability to perceive the true nature of a matter and to implement the will of God on that matter. I want us to live wisely every day in the midst of daily life. Maybe things are going good. Maybe it's that routine, mundane life. Or maybe it's when life is hard and difficult. Or maybe it's those times of soul-crushing sadness. You've lost someone that you love, a dear friend or a loved one, and you miss them so much you can hardly stand it. Maybe it's life and there's a relationship that's not going the way you want. Or maybe it's a child or a grandchild that's struggling. Or maybe life for you is a crushing disappointment at work or some other place in your life right now. How do we live wisely? How do we act wisely in those situations as well as in those good everyday moments in our life? I'm convinced that we must... Know and believe who God is to live wisely. Trusting the heart of God means knowing who God is and believing what we know about God to be true. The example, many of you have probably heard of it, is the chair. I know that's a chair. I know that it was made for people to sit in. But if I don't believe that that chair can hold me, I'm not going to sit in it. I need to believe that it will hold me, that it will do what it was made to do. We have to know God, to trust God. Some commentators have said that there's not a lot about God in Ecclesiastes, but I disagree. I think that we can learn a great deal about God in this book. And I think most of you that have done your homework this week found that to be true as well. The word Elohim, which is one of the Hebrew words for God, We find that 40 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, more than the 38 times that we see the word habal, which means meaningless or vanity. So today we're going to look primarily at chapter 3 in the book of Ecclesiastes and see what it says about God. The Bible is God's love story to us. And it's about us. And all through the word of God, we see the character of God. We see the attributes of God. We see who God is. This is how we come to know God. Proverbs 9.10 that we looked at last week said that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the second part of that, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. As we know God, we gain understanding understanding of life in general, and those individual moments, individual moments that require wisdom. We can find God throughout Scripture. But let's look today at Ecclesiastes and see what Solomon has for us. Let's begin, follow along as I read, um, starting in verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 8. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. A time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend. And here's a hard one. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. I'm about to break into songs. Does anybody remember that term? That's how many remember that? Back in the 70s, the bird? Yeah. You know, it's amazing. I'm going to point it out to you how much of Ecclesiastes is out there in the secular world. We're going to see some other um, verses that you thought was just a saying out there, and it's really from the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, why would the birds write that song? But I think that's neat from uh, the book of Ecclesiastes 3. You know, as I look through these things, I see that God is a God of order. God is orderly. God created the world, and he also designed time and ordered time. God made an orderly world in the sense of the seasons and in the natural rhythms of life. Without the God-ordained natural laws, life would be chaotic, if not impossible. And yet, even though God is a God of order, oftentimes things in our life get into a mess. Oftentimes things are chaotic and we don't know if we're coming or going. And that reminds me of this joke I've got to throw in here. There were three brothers, y'all have probably heard of it, and the one brother was complaining. They were all getting older. And the one brother was complaining about his other two brothers and um, saying, boy, you guys, your memories are shot. And he looks at the one brother and he says, you know, like last night, all of a sudden, you know, something interrupts you. You've got one leg in the bathtub and one leg out and you have to call and say, I don't, I don't remember, was I getting in the tub or out of the tub? And then he looks at the other brother and he says, you know, hey, what are you laughing for? You're no better. You were going, um, you were on the stairs and you had to yell and say, hey, I forgot, am I going up the stairs or down the stairs? Boy, let's knock on wood that I don't get like you guys. Hey, is that the back door or the front door? (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of how I feel sometimes. I don't know if I'm coming or going, if I'm upstairs or downstairs or what. There are times in our life that things get chaotic. Things get messy. Along with times and seasons in our world, Warren Wearsby points out that there is also an overruling providence in our lives. From before our birth to the moment of our death, God is accomplishing his divine purposes, even though we may not always understand what he is doing. God is a God of order. God has a plan for our life. On your outline, I've written uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. When life seems chaotic, no, God is a God of order when you seem out of sync, when things around you are a mess, stop and ask God for wisdom to bring order into your life. Ask God that he would show you his plan, that he would bring order into your life. Next, I want to read um, in uh, chapter 3. Let's look at verse 9. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. You know, life can seem very confusing. It's confusing sometimes, like um, Solomon says, God has put a heavy burden on us, and we don't understand why. We ask why. You know, whenever we ask why, then we have that narrow perspective under the sun. Instead, we need to ask who. And look to who? That's the broad eternal perspective. And we see here that Solomon says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. God is sovereign. When things look confusing, know that God is sovereign. What does that mean? That's a big concept the sovereignty of God. Well, it means that nothing is outside of God's power and authority. Nothing, nothing is outside of God's power and authority. Unger's Bible Dictionary says of the sovereignty of God that it is not an attribute of God, but it is a prerogative based upon the perfections of the divine being. God is perfect. And like Ted said in his sermon Sunday, God is always right. He rules from perfection. On your verse sheet, I have Psalm 93.1. And it says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. The world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. The sovereignty of God means that He is under no external restraints whatsoever. The author Linda Dillo calls God the blessed controller of all things. And she gets that title from 1 Timothy, and that's on your verse sheet, chapter 6, verse 15. And it says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. God is the blessed controller of all things. And yet, we are not robots. God was pleased to create us with the power to choose between good and evil. And God rules over us with justice and wisdom and grace. Job 42.2, this is Job replying to the Lord after um, God had really spoken to him. And he says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Understanding and believing that God is sovereign is foundational to our knowledge of God. God is in control, and he rules out of perfection. When I was a senior in high school, I wanted more than anything to become a nurse, and I also wanted to go to school outside the state of Florida. And so I had decided that I would go to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and so I applied. And People thought I would get in, and so did I, because I was a senior in high school, and there's, you know, nobody that knows anything more than seniors in high school. And I thought I would go to Chapel Hill. Well, I had a counselor um, who was very wise, and she was from Texas, and she said, and she thought I would get in, but she said, Debbie, why don't you write to TCU? It's in Fort Worth, Texas, and it has a great nursing program, and I think you would like Texas. Well, I didn't know a thing about Texas. In fact, this sounds silly, but I really thought people would ride to class on their pinto ponies and tie them up on a hitching post outside of the classroom. I knew nothing about Texas. But I rode away because my counselor had asked me to, and the application was pretty easy to fill out in those days. And so I did. I filled it out and was accepted to TCU. So late in my senior year, when I got the letter from you in, from North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and they had said, I was on a waiting list." I was crushed. I was so disappointed, I couldn't believe it. But I was also a senior, and so I thought, "Hey, forget about the waiting list. I'm going to Texas. TCU, here I come. Texas and TCU, Fort Worth, was a most amazing thing for me. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything about Texas, and I didn't know anybody in Texas, but I came anyway. It was a time I got involved at University Baptist Church. I grew in my knowledge of God. I knew in my, grew in my intimate relationship with God. I became a nurse, my uh, number one desire, and my number two desire, I met the man of my dreams. Um, My husband today, Scott, I met at TCU. It was a wonderful plan that God had for my life. In his sovereign plan, I was to come to Texas, not to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. If the sovereignty of God is a concept that it's hard for you to grasp, keep asking God to give you wisdom to understand it, and he will. Next week, I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about how I came to grips with the sovereignty of God. So when life is confusing, know God is sovereign. You know, life can also be difficult on many different levels. Uh, For instance, Monday, uh, I might have said if you had called me in the morning that life had been difficult that morning because I had this lesson that I wanted to work on, but I also had laundry. So I was in a hurry in the laundry room. My laundry room may be like some of yours. The wash machine and dryer is just crammed in there with the shelves and there's not much space. And so I grabbed the detergent and the cap flew off, which is the measuring cup, and there's a tiny space between the wall and the washing machine, and that's where it went. So I'm on my knees with a stick trying to get the cap out, and when I got it, instead of coming forward, it shot to the back wall and then went behind the washing machine. So now I'm on top of the washing machine with a flashlight looking for the measuring cap. Um, because I'm a rules person, I'm thinking I need it. Looking for this, I can't even see it with all the hoses down there. And I finally think, dad, you know, get down and just pour some detergent in there. Which I did, and so the cap is still behind the washing machine. (laughs) You know, in the scheme of things, that's not all that difficult. Difficult for you might be going out and finding a flat tire on your car and you're trying to get to Bible study or some other important meaning. Or maybe you're having a difficult time paying the rent or the house payment. Life is that difficult. Or maybe you have a child that's ill and the doctors can't find the reason why, and life is difficult. There are all different levels of difficulty in our life, and we see in verse 9 here that Solomon says, What does the worker gain from his toil? But then in verse 12 he says, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. So when life seems difficult, know that God is good. God is good. And what does that mean, God is good? You know, we say that every week. God is good all the time. We've talked about it today. God is good. What does that mean? I spent about three hours one day pondering this and looking it up. This is another very big concept. And when you look up good in the dictionary, which I did, the the definition is about this long. I'm not kidding. There are so many ways we use the word good. There are so many definitions and meanings for good. It can mean favorable, like the weather is good. It can mean pleasing, like that is a good apple pie. It can mean right, lovely, appropriate, precious, gracious. It has an ethical and a moral sense to the word. And God is all that and more. And then I begin to look at some scripture verses to see what kind of scriptures are there talking about God's goodness. And on your verse sheet, if you'll look um, with me, Genesis 131, first thing I see is God saw all that he had made and it was very good. In creation, this is the creation story, God would make something and he would look and say, that is good. And at the end, when he had made it all, he said, it was very good. And then in Second Chronicles 7, 3, and this is interesting because this is Solomon. He has just built uh, the temple for God and he has had a long prayer dedicating it to the Lord and God comes down. His spirit comes down. They call that the Shekinah glory to fill the temple. And this is what we read in Second Chronicles 7.3. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Just being in the presence of God the Israelites said, "He is good." Then in verse Psalm 105, we see sort of that same thing: "For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever." Psalm 84:11 says, "For the Lord God is a sun and shield; the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. No good thing does He withhold." And then in James 1:17, it says, "Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows." And my very favorite verse that I found, I put on your outline, it is Psalm 1,1968, and it says, "You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees." God is good, and what He does is good. Now, the blessings we receive from God—that go, go, we receive from God—we call good, and they are good. Solomon mentions some of these in that verse we just read: happiness and satisfying, productive work, basic necessities of life. And we can all add other blessings that God has giving us—given us good things. In my life, He's given me a steadfast husband, beautiful children, a grandson. He's giving me friendships and love and laughter and the ability to see beautiful sunsets and to see God in beautiful flowers. These are good gifts from a good God. But God also wants our good. He provides us with salvation through Jesus Christ that we might know God more intimately and that we might grow to become more like Christ Paul Little, the well-known author who died at a young age in a car crash, shortly before he died, he said, We know God is good because he gave us his son. For Paul Little, to grab hold of God's goodness meant just looking at salvation. God gave us his son. God wants us to grow to be more like Christ. And so some things come into our life that may not seem good to us, but our good God uses them for our good philippians 1 6 on your verse sheet says being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of christ jesus god is continuing to work that good work in you and sometimes things come into our life that do not seem good to us at the time but god uses them for our good Maybe it's to bring us into a deeper relationship with him. Amy Carmichael, the missionary to the children of India, she um, believes some very important things about God. First, she says, God is first and always a loving father. And then secondly, she believed that God is in control and everything he allowed into her life was ultimately for her good. Elizabeth Elliot, she uh, is the wife, um, was the wife of the missionary Jim Elliot, who many of you may have heard of. He was killed by the Aka Indians in Ecuador. They were the very people to whom he was trying to give the good news of Jesus Christ. And Elizabeth Elliot wrote um, a book called Through the Gates of Splendor. And in that book, she has this sentence. What God means by happiness and goodness is a far higher Thing than we can conceive. It's a far higher thing than we can conceive. Life under the sun, apart from God, we can see only the difficult, hard things in life. But life with God, with that eternal perspective, we believe that God is good and we are aware of all the good gifts God gives us and that everything God allows in my life is ultimately for my good. So when life seems difficult, no, God is good. Let's go on and read Ecclesiastes 3.11 and we're going to read the second part. This is uh, one of those outstanding verses in Ecclesiastes. It has so much in just this one verse. And the second part of it says, He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done for beginning to end. And if you drop down to uh, 14, it says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing take it from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is has already been, and whatever will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. In this, I see that God is eternal, and he has set eternity in the hearts of men. When life seems meaningless, as it did to Solomon, when life is unfulfilling, no, God is eternal. And we are made with a sense of eternity. We want to know that what I do and who I am makes a difference in the long run. We are made in the image of God, it tells us in Genesis. We are made in the image of God with a deep longing for God and for a forever relationship with God. We are created with that space inside us that can only be filled by God. God sent Jesus, our sin substitute, so that by grace through faith, we can have this eternal relationship with an eternal God. God had no beginning and he has no end. Verse 14 says that what God does will endure forever. And we read other verses that said his ways are eternal. His Word is eternal. The Word of God, the Bible, is eternal. And His love is eternal. Just like Solomon, if we try to live life apart from God, we will find life unfulfilling, without satisfaction, meaningless. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. We are made to long for an eternal relationship with our eternal God. Meaningful life happens when we have a relationship with God. Let's look at Ecclesiastes um, 16 and 17. See another um, attribute here. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. Solomon looks around and life seems unfair. And maybe that is what you think as well. Have you had times like that? Maybe you uh, were an employee that was honest and hardworking, but the promotion went to the person that you knew did not have integrity. Life does not seem fair. Solomon tells us in verse 17 that God is judge, and in his time he will judge both the righteous and the wicked. You know, if uh, Psalm 73 is a great psalm explaining more about this, and so if you struggle with this, or in the future, if this becomes a thought about life is unfair, what is the point? Turn to Psalm 73 and read it. I'm going to just tell you briefly what it's about. The psalmist had worked hard at obeying God, all his life. And he looks around him, and he sees the wicked prospering. The evil were healthy and strong and without struggles. And so the psalmist thinks, what is the point? And he's this close to turning away from God when he comes to a moment of understanding that God is the judge. God is judge. And so we read um, in the... On your outline, Psalm 96:13, it says, "...He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in truth." And on your verse sheet, we have the last two uh, verses of this psalmist, 27 and 28. "...Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge." I will tell of all your deeds. when life seems unfair, no, God is judge and is, and, is him, and in his time, He will judge the righteous as well as the unrighteous. And then our last point today comes from the third part of Ecclesiastes 11, where it says, "Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We cannot fathom what God has done. And we see that same point. Um, You don't have to turn there, but in Ecclesiastes 8, verse 17, Solomon says this. Then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. And then in chapter 11, verse 5, he says... As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. When life is hard to understand, know that God is mysterious. We can know much about God, and we can grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. We do that through his word, coming to Bible studies, talking to other godly people, through prayer, through revelation of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can know much about God. But we will never fully know and understand God this side of heaven. And that's an important concept for us to grasp and to deal with and come to accept. Things happen in life and we do not understand why. Messing things, confusing things, difficult, hard and unfair things happen in our life and it doesn't makes sense to us. We do not understand. And soon we begin to ask why or someone else begins to ask why. That's that narrow perspective under the sun. And so you might hear some people say, well, God is good, but he just doesn't have the power to change this. He just doesn't have control over all things. This thought goes against everything that we just read in Scripture The Bible says that God is all-powerful, that he is in control and sovereign, and that nothing is outside of his control. When Job questioned God after a long time of suffering and asked God why, God pointed to the universe that he had created. God pointed and told Job all the things that he had done. Chapter after chapter at the end of Job, God is not powerless, ladies, but he is mysterious. God is mysterious. J.I. Packer wrote the book Knowing God, and in that book he wrote, For the truth is that God in his wisdom to make and keep us humble and to teach us to walk by faith has hidden from us almost everything that we should like to know about his providential purposes. You know, Solomon kind of said that. It was to to revere God. It's to keep us humble. Man in his limited vision cannot understand why God does things the way he does. But, but scripture is clear on one thing. God is good and he makes all things beautiful in his time. God is good and he is great. So when life seems hard to understand, know that God is mysterious. A wise woman trusts the heart of God. Trusting the heart of God requires knowing who God is and believing what you know to be true about God. When I was in high school, my dad had a boat and my whole family, my brothers and sisters and mom and dad, went on a trip to the Bahamas. And we went on our boat and we saw many beautiful things. We anchored out off of islands where nobody lived and um, it was a wonderful experience um, until the very end of the trip when we were to go from the Exumas to the large island of Andros. And to do that, the straight shot was across very deep water. It's called the Tongue of the Ocean. And as we started out, we did not know, what my father did not know, was that there was a tropical depression that was um, in the south. And so as we were about halfway, it was going to be a long day's drive, and it was about the only time that we were where we were in the ocean and we couldn't see uh, one island from the other. Most of them were pretty close together. And so we start out and the wind starts blowing and the waves come up and it becomes a huge storm. And the boat is going from side to side. Some of the waves were 20 feet tall. Um, It was so scary. Everybody else in the family was seasick and down below in the cabin. And I was up on the bridge with my dad because generally I don't get sick. And um, hour after hour passed with the storm raging and the boat going like this, and we began to get closer to Andros. And so my dad had handed me the yachtsman guide, and I was looking at it and reading, and we were trying to find the landmarks in the distance on the island so that we would be able to find the cut through the coral reef that surrounded Andros. But the journey was taking much longer than we had thought, and we were about to run out of gas. And I said to my dad, so... Daddy, if we run out of gas, what what will we do? Because we would drift and we would hit this coral reef that was a couple miles outside of the island of, of Andros. And Daddy said, We will throw out the anchor and we will anchor it on a strong rock and we will not drift onto the coral reef. We didn't have to do that. We found the cut and we had enough gas to make an end to safe harbor. But as I sat on the boat, wondering that and having it toss and the wind blow around me, I had this picture of mine in my mind of the anchor going down and holding on to this strong rock on the bottom of the ocean. And in my mind today and in my heart, I think that is what it means to trust God, to know God so that we can anchor ourselves on God. So that when those wind and waves of hard times, of sad times, of difficult, confusing, and messy times. We are anchored on who God is. We know who God is, and we don't go adrift onto those rocks. A wise woman trusts the heart of God. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God Ladies, let's be still and know God, so that as wise women, we can trust the heart of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are our Father. You are good and you are great. Lord, you are sovereign and in control. You give us good gifts. Father, you want our good. We can trust you with the details of our life and the outcome of our life. Lord, you provide us with salvation through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Father, we have so much to be grateful for as we think of who you are. You are eternal and you love us. Father, I pray that each woman in this room would be able to hold on to the truth of who you are. That we would know who you are. That we would learn more each day intimately who you are. That we would believe that and hold on to that for the good times and for the bad times that we might act in wisdom. Thank you, Father, for this day, for the um, ability to come. Thank you for the weather that changed. Thank you for each woman that's in this room. And I ask a blessing upon her, Lord. Take us throughout this week. Hold us close to you so that we might know you ever more and love you even more. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.